Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we have Mike Hambright, and he flew in from Dallas to talk about the power of building your network. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Steve Trang, broker and owner of Stunning Homes Realty, founder of the OfferFast Homes app, the only MLS for off-market wholesale properties, and I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. If that's something you want to do, let's connect on Instagram at steve.trang. If you're excited for today's show, please give me a wave, give me a thumbs up. And as a friendly reminder, I do not charge a dime for this show. I don't make any money doing this. So here's all I ask this is what it costs for you to listen to this show. I've been advised by a consultant that I need to get to 500 five-star reviews on iTunes in order to land some of the guests I've been trying to get on the show. So please do me a favor, go into iTunes, subscribe, and give a five-star review. It'd be even better if you can write a, a review for us as well. Uh, and this is a live show, so please ask your questions for Mike to answer. You ready? Let's do it. All right. So first question is, what got you into real estate? Um, so in there's always there's a short version and a long version of the story, right? We got time. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I um, I went to college. I got a degree in finance, and I was the first person in my family to go to college. And and uh, it's just I wanted to get out of my kind of small hometown, and so that's the path that I that I chose. Got into my first job after college, and you know, kind of felt like I was had some level of success because nobody in my family had ever done that. I worked for a large bank in Chicago. But the truth is, is I was a low level guy sitting in a cubicle, a sea of cubicles of people just like me wondering, is this all there is? Yeah. You know, and that's what happened. So I was there for a couple of years and uh, then went on to another job that seemed prestigious. It was a prestigious company. And but it's just like it's the same. It's the same role at a new company. Mm -hmm. And in that one, it was a smaller operation. It was a large company, but like there were two of us that reported to one guy and then two of those guys reported to one director. And it, you could see like the next 15 years of my career, like within 20 feet of my cubicle. You right. know? It's like, is this all there is? Yeah. Right. And so I did uh, what, uh, what, uh, what you're supposed to do. I went back to graduate school. So got more formal education. Supposed right? to yeah. And um, so I went on that path, went to a top uh, MBA program and um, about a well, week don't or two. Be humble. Which one? Which one? University of Texas is a top uh, twenty program nice. in Austin, and uh, met my wife there. Is the best part. I had met a lot of great friends there, so she was in the same program. But uh, about you know a month into our program, September eleventh happened, mm. and the economy just shifted. Right, so all these people went back to grad school, coming out, you know, planning to make six figure jobs right out of school. And the truth is, is when we graduated, half of our class didn't have a job. And a lot of those things were kind of gone, right? So I remember those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did. I did end up finding a really good job, and uh, was there for uh, about three years. And it was a very unusual job. It was uh, I worked directly for the president of a five billion dollar company, and so we're flying around on private jets, like a lot of really cool stuff, like yeah. literally meeting with you know Fortune one hundred CEOs at dinner and coming up with strategic plans, stuff like that. It was really an amazing experience for me at the time. Um, but then about three years into it, um, he got promoted to CEO and then there was a little bit of a, little bit of a smear campaign going, he basically he got fired and I was his outspoken right-hand man that had no, <laughs> I had no coverage anymore. You're like, screwed. Yeah. I was like, he's next. They were like, you know, he's next yeah. basically. And I was, and so got fired from that job really from nothing on my own. It's just like politics. It's just mm -hmm. like, so it was, uh, it was kind of a slap in the face. I was like, I was a made man the rest of my career was like made, but I'd never thought like it's tied to one person. I just didn't really think about that. You know, right. had all my eggs in one basket. 
politics is powerful. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So uh, left there, licked my wounds, and found another uh, job that uh, moved us from Dallas. My wife and I uh, moved to Washington, D.C. for what ended up being about 18 months, a little bit under two years. And it went to work for more of a startup there. So it was a smaller company, but it was they had grown from like an idea in a bedroom to like $500 million retail online retailer in a really short period of time. Mm-hmm. Went public and everything was kind of great. And um, so I went there, the job was fantastic. I, my division that I was running was growing super fast, but the company filed for bankruptcy. And, uh, and uh, my son had just been born a month earlier and we were living in a far off land, had no family in DC. Yeah. And it was just this kind of back to back two years of like, I can't control my destiny. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I kind of dabbled in trying to start my own online business at the point at that point because I of some experience I had in my last job. We ended up moving back to Dallas, which we knew we were going to do. And uh, I'd always been interested in real estate investing, and had just never done anything about it. I'd been to some weekend workshops and read some books, and mm-hmm. you know, just it, it's interesting how. Uh, discomfort pushes you forward because I was always in a comfortable position and a lot of people deal with that in this industry. A lot of that happens with a lot of people, right? They're Mm -hmm. interested. They want it. They just don't want it bad enough. They're not uncomfortable enough. Real estate is everyone (laughs) wants to get in real estate. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, I have a podcast too, and I've talked to lots of guests and you have to, you know, people that like until they hit some sort of rock bottom or something bad happened, then all of a sudden they see the success that they just needed to get out of their comfort zone to hit. And so yeah, that's kind of what like happened to me. 98% of the people that have been in the show had like major right. adversity. Right. And that's what helped. What, what's the yeah. word? It's the, it's the, um, what do you do the coal? But, uh, you know, it toughens it, right? Yeah. yeah. That's how you, you that's right. how you create diamonds. So, right. Yeah. 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 So got into real estate in, uh, the summer of 2008 and mm-hmm. everybody else was running away. And with all this education and everything, we were still naive. Like I didn't know, like in hindsight, it actually ended up being the best time to get in. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that at the time. We just thought, you know, failure's not an option. Yeah. So we're gonna make this work. And uh, and we did. So we, our first kind of calendar year, took a few months to get going. Our first calendar year, we ended up flipping 65 houses in Dallas with no prior experience and went on to do kind of 60, 70 houses 65 a year. your first year. Yeah. Pretty yeah. good. Yeah. It was just, um, you know, it was like some of it was the bounce off of these jobs. Mm-hmm. It was just like, nobody's going to tell me I can't be successful. And it right. was the fear of like, I'm a brand new father and uh, have no insurance. Like I never had to deal with these things, you know, and, and had been married for a couple of years. And my wife had said a couple of things over time, like they kind of questioned my ability to support my family. And whether she said something or I thought that I was like, shit's getting real, mm-hmm. right? So I have to make this work. And so we worked and I say, you know, I say we, it was my wife too, from the beginning, we worked really, really hard yeah. to, uh, to get up off the ground. So let's talk about that. So you're, it was 2008 yep. and you're going to buy houses, right? How are you finding these houses? All through advertising. We just okay. advertise. So we learned how to advertise, have sellers call us directly. Okay. And the benefit in hindsight now is, you know, a lot of the competition, competition wasn't gone, but it had slowed down. It depleted. Yeah. Everyone lost their advertising budgets. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or people just, you know, were maybe like today picking up bad habits Mm -hmm. and, you know, paying too much for houses. And then when things started to shift, they they were upside down or lenders are pulling their lines of credit, things like that. Yeah. So 65 houses, your first year. Yeah. And then your next year. 
we kind of stayed at that level, 60, 70 houses a year for a few years. And mm-hmm. then as time goes by, you know, your business starts to get more complicated, right? You're like, well, now I have a rental portfolio and a mm-hmm. company and now I start doing some coaching and just like you start bolting things on yeah. that, uh, you know, um, other businesses start to suffer because I'm focused on other areas. So, but you weren't just flipping, you were also wholesaling. Yeah, so we, we probably were rehabbing during those first few years, we were probably rehabbing about 70% of the houses. So I'm doing it the hard way too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then at some point you got into um, selling less than good looking homes, mm-hmm. companies. Yeah, All right. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about that. So you're, you're, you're wholesaling, you're flipping, right? and then you start uh, selling some, you know, some of these franchises. Selling franchises, yep. So that, what was that like? What was that journey like? Well, yeah, so the, the, big, the big company in the country, I was selling franchises for them, and I was effectively like a distribution partner. It was mm-hmm. like, hey, you're doing really well, teach people what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, my story was, um, you know, sexy too for people wanting to get in. Like, I want to do what you do. I want to leave my job. You know, I want right. to be able to do that. And so I leaned into that and it, it wasn't disingenuous. Like I, I, I know that it, if I could do it, somebody else could do it too. Mm-hmm. And I could show them the way. So, so yeah, it ended up, I mean, it really started in a way to where this is the truth. Like when I started in real estate investing and left corporate America, it got a little lonely. Like my fr- my friend none of my friends did what i did mm-hmm. and there were no more office birthday parties or happy hours after <laughs> work or that just didn't exist we, yeah. it was just my wife and i and an admin and acquisitions guy you know a couple people that would be around us but they weren't like our friends like they're great people but we didn't like hang out with them socially mm-hmm. right and so it got a little it got a little lonely and i'm a you know i'm, a, I'm like a little social butterfly so yeah so i started like let me go to these ria clubs let me sponsor this i'm gonna start to make some new friends teach people what i know and then i would start to take them under my wing and show them exactly what i do and yeah so for the first couple of years it was really about me kind of giving back and sharing with people because i it made me feel good to like share what i was doing it's just yeah. like um and also it turned into a great acquisition source so next thing you know i'm jv'ing with people or they're assigning deals to me that i'm rehabbing and so mm-hmm. it turned into I mean, I made, truthfully, I made more money in those early years off of uh, opportunities that would fall in my lap from teaching and showing people how to do things. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and then at some point, um, you launched Flip Nerd. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because uh, we were talking offline. So I've got my app, OfferFast, mm-hmm. right? And I said, okay, well, before we go and see if we can make this thing happen, let's just see what the competition is out there. Yeah. And my cousin Wayne, he's a partner in OfferFast, like, Hey, check out this flip nerd thing. I was like, all right, let's see what this flip nerd thing is. And I'm looking at you and I had no idea who you were. Yeah. Right. But that's when you first showed up on my radar. Hmm. I was like, okay, this is interesting. So they're kind of like, it looks kind of like my house deals, Yeah. Uh, but a little bit different. And you and I were talking about how, you know, that's not uh, something that you're, you're focused on anymore. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because uh, there are, we have listeners to the show that are brand new. Right. And it's great for learning technique and learning mindset. We have other people that do have success, right? If they're doing one to maybe five deals a month and you don't really need to make more than 20K a month. You really don't. And at some point, boredom starts <laughs> kicking in or you know, you, the entrepreneur mindset where you just, um, shiny object syndrome starts coming in. No doubt. So you went and said, well, I'm gonna start this listing platform, right? So what, were yeah. the, what was that journey and what were the lessons learned? Well, what happened is um, I was doing some something I call Rehab Live in Dallas, and I was doing this to recruit franchisees and build my network. Um, 
And what I did was I basically say, hey, come visit, come to a house with us and we're gonna, you're gonna show up three times and watch us rehab the house. It was like HGTV without the drama mm-hmm. and uh, it was real, right? So people would come, we'd have 30, 40, 50, 60 people show up sometimes. And we'd come at wow. the beginning before we've done anything, yeah. like in all its glory. And we'd always pick like the worst houses because mm-hmm. they were just the, the best transformation, the biggest transformations. Yeah. And uh, come halfway through and then come, you know, a couple weeks later and it's done. And like, let's sit around and talk about it. And lots of people asking questions. How'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Who did you use for this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, all sorts of stuff that just spurred like great conversations. And um, then it got to a point to where, without me really, I didn't, I didn't really know where I was going or what I was trying to do, but I was just trying to, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of ego of like teaching people what I know, like mm. it makes you feel good. Truthfully. Definitely makes you feel good. Yeah. And I like, I really enjoy helping people. Yeah. And so, and, and I know that um, a side benefit of all that is benefit comes my way. I don't necessarily know what it is, but if you mm. put good things out there, good things come back. I found right. that. Right. And so then I was like, okay, well, this isn't DFW. How do I get a bigger audience? And so I hired a videographer to start following me around. And we were like, because I was constantly, we were rehabbing at the time, you know. Three years ago you were doing this? Uh, so this is about six years ago. You're really ahead of the curve. Six or seven years ago, yeah. Yeah, this was, so we launched FlipNerd almost six years ago. Uh, this this uh, Christmas, it'll be six years. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, even before that, we were we were doing this. And I had no idea how to market. Like my marketing skills are far better now and I still feel like they're weak compared to some people. But um, yeah, so he was following me around. We were creating these little videos of kind of like a rehab live, but mm-hmm. we could share it online on social media without having any idea how to use social media, you know, really. Uh, so um, then that evolved ultimately into the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then I'm like, well, if we're gonna have a podcast, we need to have a nice site. And so anyway, I, I had, like you said, had a lot of, you know, I hate to say the word excess cash flow, but my businesses were doing really well, mm-hmm. generating way more money than we needed to live on. And apparently I felt the need to go burn it. So <laughs> I, uh, we, we built this custom platform that was like every possible thing I could think of that we're going to build the best site that's just going to revolutionize the industry without really thinking from a business standpoint of like, how am I going to monetize this? Mm-hmm. I was just building something really cool yeah. without really thinking about people going to pay for this or how am I going to offset all this expense, you know, mm-hmm. which is totally dumb, <laughs> but it's just, uh, we kept doubling down, you know, like the developers would come back. Oh, well, it's going to, this is going to take longer, longer, longer. It's going to cost more and more and more. And you just kind of get to a point where you're like, just do it, just do it, just go. We got to get it done. You know, right. It's like, um, uh, when you remodel like 80% of the house, yeah. you can't just leave you the other 20%. Back. You yeah, can't turn back. You're in. Yeah. So, you know, that led to uh, launching um, the original FlipNerd site. We're on like version three or four now, mm-hmm. but uh, it had all these bells and whistles and it was like a beast for us to maintain. And it was just like a ton of expense to maintain. We built it on a custom platform. So we always had to use these very expensive developers. And it just got to the point to where we just literally one day I said, I'm going to throw this entire thing away. Yeah. And it was painful because it was a seven figure investment. So what were the lessons learned? Well, um, you know, I think you really need to understand what, who your customers are and what they'll want. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think for me, it was definitely a shiny object. Like I did it because I wanted to do something that had never been done before without really thinking about, does the market even want this? Mm-hmm. You know? So we had a listing platform. We had, there's an education platform inside of there where we had to build, launch a new training every month. We were committed to like launching this 
these, uh, we call them master classes. These, you know, sometimes they were 20 videos long and it was just yeah. like, it was a beating uh, to continually create that. It's like, okay, we're gonna do one on wholesaling. We're gonna do one on rehabbing. We're gonna do one on notes. That's not really me, but I'll pull Scott Carson. In. Like mm -hmm. we would like, you come up with like five or six and then it started to get harder. Like what's the next one on? I don't know, what can we do? And oh, yeah. we, we only have seven days to finish it. Let's figure it out. And it just got, became a burden. Right. And so we ended up just uh, stripping the site down to just be podcasts and blogs and simplify. Yeah, and uh, so I think the lesson here for uh, some of the guys out there is there's nothing wrong with trying new things, right? I'm all no about doubt. trying new things, no right? Shiny object syndrome, like there's a reason why that exists and <laughs> and some of them hit. Yeah. You know, like this podcast was like, let me just give this a shot, let me see you know, if it sticks. Right. But you have to know why you're doing it. Yep. And you have to be sure like if you're gonna do it, you're committed to it. Sure. So. Yeah, and we, we bootstrapped the whole thing, so it was, it was probably like if I had had the burden of having other people's money in it, mm -hmm. I probably would have found a way. But like it just, after some period of time, we talked about this a little bit up front, you get a little complacent. Like if you have a business that starts to do well, you get a little complacent and mm -hmm. you're like, you know, I do think um, the one of the biggest benefits we have as entrepreneurs is uh, when you have a business that sustains you, like it's not about survival anymore. My family's mm -hmm. gonna eat, I don't have to worry about making my house payment. Like that's not an issue anymore. It starts to be about, for, it's different for everybody, but impact. But I think it's a, it's such a blessing to be able to have, to take risks, to try mm -hmm. things. Yep. Now I would argue that don't take them as big as I did. Mm -hmm. uh, and other people have taken some big risks too, obviously. Yeah. But I'm constantly trying things. And I know that some of the, I know that most of them won't hit. Right. Like I'll, we'll throw tens of thousands of dollars at marketing campaigns or different things and try it. And then when it doesn't work, I'm not totally disappointed because I didn't know if it would work anyway, but I'm able to try those things. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a cool thing for entrepreneurs, uh, especially entrepreneurs that are more of a visionary that like have a lot of ideas. Like I yeah. can actually go try those ideas now. And if they don't work, then, you know, they if, if I can find one that works every once in a while, yeah. then that's great. Very cool. So one of the messages that uh, I know is important for you to talk about was the power of your network. Yep. So let's talk about that. Yeah. What did you, what, what, did you want to talk about in regards to that? Yeah, I just think, uh, you know, network, it's so easy these days with social media to be connected to thousands, have thousands of friends, mm -hmm. but you don't know any of them, right? Or you don't right. know who they are. And um, I think uh, the net networking really can help your business in, in a many, many ways. Like you see, you're seeing it through your show, right? You 100%. meet people like you and I have never got a chance to meet in person until today. Mm -hmm. And we don't know where that'll go, but I know yeah. our relationship's not gonna end here, right? right? At least I hope it doesn't. So um, <laughs> we'll see how the rest of the show goes now. Uh, but I think uh, just through networking, networking and meeting people, it'll open up opportunities mm -hmm. for you. Now, if all you're doing is investing or wholesaling, um, it's it's a different type of networking. You're networking with maybe real estate agents or other wholesalers that you might be co-wholesaling with or whoever it might be. It kind of depends on where you're trying to take your business or where you're trying to go. But I think just the, you know, I gave a presentation, we had this million dollar meeting last mm -hmm. week, and I gave a presentation on networking on steroids and using tools and stuff to actually build your relationships and effectively using a CRM to kind of manage those relationships. Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing it in mass, you don't remember little things. Yeah. Like when is somebody's birthday or something just happened to somebody. I just wanna, re I wanna record these things. But I think 
you know, for so long, we've thought that networking is going to a real estate club and getting a big stack of business cards that we throw in a drawer and never see again, right? That, that the art of the, the kind of act of networking is not business card collection. That's it's starting what, a relationship. When I started in real estate, that's yeah. exactly oh, what for I sure. thought it was. Yeah. It's like I got all these business cards. Now what? Yeah. Wrap, <laughs> the next thing is wrap a rubber band around it and throw it in a drawer, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got several of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The great kindling. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, it's hard to know where networking can take you mm -hmm. and it kind of depends on knowing where it is you want to go. Uh, but a little bit of faith too, that if I give back, if I help people, um, I think really good networking starts with being a giver. Like I'm going to help somebody and I don't expect anything in return. And I don't know what'll come of this. Probably nothing, but every once in a while, kind of like just taking the risks on business we talked about yeah. every once in a while, 10% of the time, something will come back mm -hmm. to me and when I least expect it probably. Yeah. And so, but I think that's something you really hit there. That was important is that you're giving, Yeah. right? The, yeah. um, something that happens and I've been in multiple masterminds and you got the guys that give, you got the, you got the givers, you got the matchers and you got the takers. Yeah. And the takers always seem to get removed yeah. <laughs> from the group. Yeah. So talk about like the importance of giving. Yeah, you have to, if you're, if you're not willing to give to somebody, um, continuously, then people, people are, people feel it, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a taker, people know it. Yeah. If they're like, Hey, I'm going to give you something. And, uh, Oh, and like the next breath, by the way, can you do this for me? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it just feels odd. You feels know, calculated. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, I think if you give long enough, like we had this meeting last uh, week, the million dollar meeting, uh, was everybody loved it. I mean, mm -hmm. it was like, raging success. It was just kind of a one-off thing that we did. You know, every speaker that was there, people travel from all over the country to come speak on my stage. I, I didn't pay them anything. Nobody hesitated. I don't think there's even anybody that I asked that didn't come mm -hmm. like, um, and, and somewhere in there, uh, that's because I've probably helped them and, or they know that I would do the same for them. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't do something for them in the past saying, Hey, like a year from now, I'm going to have this event and I want you to come. Mm -hmm. uh, but we regularly have that inside of our investor fuel mastermind. We have people that come, you know, we have two different groups, but we have people that come early to the earlier group to like help them. The earlier group is the less experienced group generally. And so mm -hmm. it's just this amazing network of people like helping one another. And I'd like to think that I had a small role in starting that kind of fostering, like whenever somebody asks, like, how can I, you've helped me, how, what can I do to help you? And I'm like, just be good to our fellow members here. Just like help them. I'm, I don't need anything. So right. help other people. Cause I know that that, uh, just comes back around for everybody. So for someone that's newer, like, let's say, you know, maybe not Dallas. So let's say Austin, yeah. right. And they want to start building their network. Like what advice do you give someone? in how to build a network. Cause you're talking about like you, 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 pr you gave a presentation on this, like using the CRM, whatever, like right. what first steps should someone take in building their network? So I think you can, um, and some of these things, uh, that I gave in the presentation, I'll talk a little bit about here sound a little, um, systematic and it may be unnatural. Like you're supposed to, if you're building a relationship, you shouldn't have to use a CRM, but mm -hmm. I just, I think there's like a science and an art part of networking, I guess. And well, we can't actually remember, all the details. Yeah, there's no way you could. There's yeah. no way you could. Just like it, when it do, I do a lot of coaching when I teach people to buy houses, I'm like, when you're at the house, like start to pick up little things about them that that you can put in your CRM. Take a mm -hmm. note. Like are, they have a you know cowboys jersey on the wall. They're a cowboys fan, or they're into fishing, or whatever it is. 
or they have a family member that's sick or passed away or not doing well or whatever, if you put those things in your CRM when you're following up and you're like, how's, how's your mom doing? I know she wasn't well the last time I was with you. Mm-hmm. And like whatever their answer is, they can't believe that you remember that. Right. It's like little things. And I think it's important in terms of networking to remember those things. It helps you stand out because nobody really does that. Mm-hmm. You know. But uh, back to your question in terms of what can newer people do, I think you need to kind of know generally what is, your, what is your goal through networking. It's I want to do more deals, it could be, mm-hmm. or I want to find private money or something like that, right? And then kind of put people into categories. Like if I want to um, do more deals, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to network with wholesalers. Mm-hmm. I'm going to network with uh, probate attorneys whatever it might be, just find those buckets of people and then just kind of have a concerted effort to go after and meet those people that kind of raise their hand. And I don't believe that you should try to build a relationship with everybody that you meet. It's like if you had some connection when you first met, those relationships are higher quality than the ones that was just like, I have somebody's business card that they handed me, right? There was no, there was no initial, there's no forcing it, right? There's no relationship there yet. But I think those relationships that start to kick off, like find a way to reach out to people, email them, text them, like do these things over time. And so I think, you know, for newer investors, if we're talking to them, it's like what I, what we just talked about here might sound overwhelming, but it all starts with you meeting one person. Yeah. Like that's how everything begins. So is there a CRM you recommend for newer people to for their networking? Yeah. So what I what I talked about, so I use one, um, there's two that I talked about last week. One that I used to use and, and uh, it's called Contactually. Mm-hmm. You might be familiar with it. So a lot of mm-hmm. realtors and brokers use it. And I, I don't use that one anymore and I can't really speak to the uh, improvements that they may have made over the past couple of years because all these tools are constantly evolving, mm-hmm. right? So we use uh, one that is more of a selling CRM that is called Pipedrive. And um, it's not really a, con- it is a contact manager and that's how we use it, but it's also good for, I don't want people to go like shiny object, I gotta go get a new CRM, right? Yeah. But um, the the thing that I like about it, and there, there probably are other tools if people wanna look around, is that I can connect it with my Gmail account, with uh, a texting app and a phone app, and anything I text, email, or call is all registered in this thing. So, and uh, the beauty of Contactually and Pipedrive is you can set it up to where you'll get notified. You can say people that are in this category, it could be realtors that I wanna network with. I can say, um, turn that person's kind of name basically, turn it red or turn it a color or notify me or set me a task if I haven't talked to them in X days. Mm -hmm. So it's constantly reminding you, you haven't talked to this person in a while, some preset number that you suggested and it's a constant reminder to keep talking to people, keep, you know, you just keep tapping them on the shoulder. Like, right. Hey, how's it going? Just want to yeah. check in. I'm still you may here. not even have anything, but just like, just want to check on you. I thought about you today. Or it's like, Hey, I was in this disgusting house today. The toilet was like gross. Here's a picture. Mm-hmm. I saw it and I thought of you like, just <laughs> say stuff like that. I mean, relationship building is, is partial, partially entertainment, right? right. I'm going to educate or entertain people along the way. And it yeah. just makes you memorable. Right. And so to this day, there are people that I've done that with over time that you know, there are agents that bring every burnout in Dallas that they ever come across to me because they know I'm the burnout guy because oh, I, I took them to a rehab live thing mm-hmm. there and they kind of watch me and I'm just like, hey, if you ever get a burnout, make sure you come to me. And I've kind of cemented that in their head. And so I'm the go-to person for that. Gotcha. So that was kind of leads to my next question, which is, can you give me an example? Because we're talking about the power of building your network. Yeah. Can you give me examples of how building your network has helped you in your journey? I mean, for sure, um, 
in uh, the early days when I was just real estate investing and I started selling franchises and coaching people and mentoring people, um, my I was doing way I was doing more and more business, more and more uh, deals. Usually I would rehab them because people would assign to me, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of became the go-to person. Like they trusted me, um, I and I would tell them I'm I'm not going to advocate that I'm always going to pay you the most, but I'm going to be the most reliable person you're ever going to sell to. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you know, you may not get the best price, but here's what I can offer. And I can also close in like three business days. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Or if people couldn't sell it and they come down to the wire and they really need to move it fast, it's like I can close quickly because I had access to cash. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that all came through helping people building those trusting relationships. As time went by and starting the podcast six years ago, I mean, we've done over 1500 shows now. And so I'm fortunate to have just an amazing, uh, I don't think I find another word other than a Rolodex because that makes that totally That's easy, the right? word I would go with. Yeah, but I have an amazing Rolodex of a who's who list of the industry. Truthfully, many of them are friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Many of them are in my mastermind, right? But yeah. I could have never done the mastermind and Investor Fuel is truthfully, it's like a culmination of everything that I've ever done. All the networking together mm-hmm. is there. Like I could have never done that without all that I've been through, ups and downs with Flipnerd and all that. Yeah. Um, that's probably the most vivid example to me is like, right now I can pick up a phone and call anybody. If there's somebody that I don't know, which isn't many people in this industry, they're they're one degree away. Like I know somebody that knows them well. Right, right? it's really interesting Yeah. The for me, the journey I've had with this podcast. No doubt. People that if I don't know them, I can make a phone call. It's like, hey, can you make an introduction for me please? Yeah, yeah. And they're happy to. Right. Right. They're not like, yeah. oh, I can't do that. They're happy. Yeah. To. The people that trust you and like you, whether it's in this space or it's in house buying, they look forward to making introductions. It's yeah. a way, if you've added value to them, it's a small way they can add value back to you that's easy for them. Yeah. Uh, so, Caller Blue has a question is, how do you define networking? So, I define it as the, I actually gave a definition that I had on a slide. I'm trying to remember. But effectively, it is, a, it is, um, kind of a, the beginning of an effort to start to give and add value to people. Mm-hmm. So if I start to do things and add value to you, then that builds our relationship and we don't know where it'll go from there. It's kind of like everything. You just pivot like this happened and then, oh, well, he's interested in this. Maybe we could do that together. or mm-hmm. Maybe I can introduce him to somebody because he said he likes this. And so I think it's this coming out and saying, I want to add value to people. It's like a wide net, right? It's like it's like uh, it's like lead generation, mm-hmm. right? It's like direct mail. I'm gonna put a bunch of stuff out there. Yeah, a couple things are gonna hit, and I'm gonna go deeper with the relationship on those things that hit, and just see where it goes from there. Right. Uh, <clears throat> there were a lot of comments about the quality of your jacket. So yeah. someone wanted to get this. Jacket. My wife, my wife picked this out. This is kind of <laughs> funny. Uh, uh, we were at a random store in a random town in Illinois uh, where my family lives, and um, I can't even remember the name of the store right now. So if you're gonna ask me that, but it, it, it's like a small like boutique uh, type store in the middle of the Midwest. There might be a couple of them, but uh, yeah, my wife picked this out. She's like, this is your costume. (laughs) (laughs) I've only had three opportunities to wear this. And so uh, over the past couple months, so today's the day. That's awesome. (laughs) And Bobby Pappen wants to know, you know, when you're talking about providing value, um, if what advice would you give to someone that's trying to network with a fix and flip cash buyer, trying to build that network? Trying to find people to sell to? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you just spend time with people asking them, like, what it is you're looking for, like, how can I serve you? Sometimes it's just as simple as asking people. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I want to find some ways to work together. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to help you? And um, you'd be surprised where that sometimes, sometimes it's just as simple as just asking, like, how can I help you? 
Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think one of the problems uh, that gives wholesalers a bad name is ultimately their customers are rehabbers, right? Usually, mm-hmm. or landlords. And if you've never wholesaled, <coughs> I mean, if you've never rehabbed and you've never uh, kept a rental, everything you're doing is trying to position yourself to sell to somebody that you don't actually know what they want. And so I think, you know, a lot of wholesalers would be better served if they got to know their customers better. Like, what, did it, what, is, it, what is it that you want? Mm-hmm. Can you show me, uh, even if you sell to them, like, can I come back and you tell me how much money you spent? I want to see what you did here. Just to learn the process of rehabbing. Because you, you're effectively trying to estimate repairs, rehab repairs, mm-hmm. and you're trying to, you know, estimate and uh, make a bunch of assumptions. At the end of the day, you're, uh, most wholesalers are just trying to make money. And I, and I right. get that. I get that. But as the game goes on, you have to know who your customer is. Yeah. Same thing we talked about with Flipner. Like, you're just throwing stuff out there and thinking if I build it, they will come. <laughs> you know, the, in, the, the cycle has been such that if you get a deal under contract, you can sell it if you bought it right. Mm-hmm. But I think as things kind of tighten up, as rehabbers start to contract and pull back a little bit, it's more and more important to understand what does it really cost you to do this and what is it you're really looking for? Yeah. Well, I think that this, um, <clears throat> when you're talking about having follow up with your buyer mm-hmm. and find out what they actually spent in rehab, there's two things. A, it shows that you actually care about them. Right. And B, you're actually gonna get better at quoting the estimated rehab. No doubt, no so doubt. There's two huge benefits there. Sure. So there's re- no reason not to do this. So I think that's a great question, Bobby, for doing that. How was the answer? I think that was a great answer. <laughs> great answer. Something I learned something there too. We should start doing that. Uh, okay, so then, you know, so you got the coaching, you got the podcast, multiple podcasts. So the two podcasts are we have two podcasts now. Yeah, with the Flipner Real Estate Investing Secrets. Mm-hmm. The Flipner Show is the original one that's been running for six years, uh, almost six years, uh, coming up here in a couple months. And uh, I've kind of rebranded it a little bit. This year we kind of rebranded it as Real Estate mm-hmm. Investing Secrets. And um, it's more of me just sharing my thoughts. It used to be interview based. Uh, and we still do a little bit of interviews, but it's more of like me sharing thoughts or something just happened to me or um, short stuff sometimes in my car and stuff like that. So yeah. that's evolved. And um, I kind of switched with the real estate, uh, with the interview style. We moved that over to the Investor Fuel Mastermind mm-hmm. podcast. So we have the Investor Fuel Mastermind. We have over 100 of the top real estate investors in America. And I was like, you know, for years I would have a show and we're constantly trying to find new prospects. And it just kind of hit me, you know, around this time last year, I was like, why do I have to keep finding people? They're already in my mastermind. I could Mm -hmm. interview everybody. Even if I interviewed them once every two years, I have enough content for a weekly show. Right. And so, and plus it's a way for me to get to know my members better. Mm -hmm. It's a way, many of them are not, um, you know, some are well known you know, uh, celebrity type folks, you know, Trevor Mock, John Martinez, Gary Harper, many others like that. And some are like crushing it in their market, but nobody knows who they are. And yeah. they're cool with that. They're mm-hmm. just, they're, that's that social media isn't their thing, right? Right. And so, but, but you know, they have a great message to share if I can get them on the show. Right. <laughs> so then with that, those two going on, so you got two podcasts, coaching, your yep. mastermind. Right. Now, are you still in the business as far as like flipping and wholesaling? Yeah. So yeah, we don't that? do as many deals as we used to. Um, and uh, so lately, one of the things that I shifted was started partnering with people. So in, mm-hmm. in the Dallas market, for example, we launched and it's a little bit of a, a beta test 
uh, as to how this will evolve. But we have about 10 real estate investors that we partnered with and we do all their marketing, take all the calls, text message, cold calling, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're doing acquisitions and dispositions. And so kind of modeling how to do that. I mean, I'm always at this point for me, real estate investing has changed my life. Yeah. And uh, I'm also investing in multifamily now, which is a whole nother story. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I realized, so I have a, 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 a good friend, Matt Andrews, who said this a while back and I never forget, I, talk, I think about it all the time. Real estate investing isn't the thing, it's the thing that gets you the thing. Mm -hmm. And I know that for me, um, I've, you know, we've been in real estate for 12 years, I've, we've worked really hard, but the transactional side of the business is not exciting to me anymore. Mm -hmm. So we still do deals, but it's like, how can I do deals through people and with other people so that I can help them in a way that allows them to grow and I can benefit at the same time. So looking for more, more and more opportunities to kind of JV. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so you're building a system for cold calling and texting and direct mail mm -hmm. for other people. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we're partnering with somebody that's, that's created it. So yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. A little early to talk about too much that in too much detail. Okay, sure. <laughs> so then what does your organization look like today? So we have about, uh, I think we have about nine people on our team. Mm -hmm. So in the office, um, there's five of us in my office. We're pretty virtual too. So five in the office, four uh, out of the office. One is virtual in America and three are overseas. Yeah. So I have a graphic designer and a video editor. She's in Serbia. And I've got a guy in Chicago that does all my IT stuff and uh, have a virtual assistant in the Philippines. Gotcha. And, uh, and then business development and sales and event planning and all that stuff is in our office. Is event planning like uh, its own job? It is, uh, we, we do so many events. Yeah. Yeah, we do a lot of events now. It's turned into, so for us, you know, event planning though, like the mastermind is not, it's not just the events, it's the experience. Like we give a lot of gifts. So there's a lot of things that we do um, to, build relationships. I mean, mm -hmm. so our events are opportunities to build our relationships further with people. It's not the act of setting up something at a hotel and getting it over with as fast as possible, you know, so. Right, you're actually touching and showing that you care. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Um, so then what are some valuable resources that people need to, to know, you know, listeners on the show that you're seeing is, is highly effective, not necessarily just for you, but that you're seeing is good for a lot of the people in your program? Yeah, for, for coaching students or? Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's real easy for people to, for if, are we talking to people that are just trying to get started in real estate investing or? Uh, people that are just getting started or they're doing one or two deals a month. Yeah, so the best part of this business is after you scale it up to something to where you can start to outsource your roles. Like mm -hmm. if you're doing a deal a month, you can't afford to have an admin and acquisitions person. Right. Right. Or, or if you have the money, I guess you can't afford not to hire those people because mm -hmm. it's an investment. But it's hard. As real estate investors, we're trained to be frugal or cheap or scrappy or mm -hmm. like just move. I'll just do it myself. Right. Yeah. But the problem is, is that gets in your way of doing more volume. And uh, we all want this like freedom. I want to be able to have a business that runs without me. Right. And so it's it, you can have it, but you have to get up to a point to where you can afford to pay yourself what you think you're worth, and you can have a, a small staff at least that allows you to get it. So I think when you get up to, it's like a stair step. You start off one or two deals a month, you're probably doing everything yourself. Mm -hmm. And you get up to three and four, then it's like, okay, I'm gonna bring on an admin and an acquisitions person, and then your business can start to stair step up to that third step. So that's one tip is like, you have to invest in your business. Otherwise you have a job, yeah. right? you, you're self-employed. 
And the other thing I would say is be very, very careful on uh, social media. It, it looks like there's people out there that are living this life that, and, and I'm guilty of that. I mean, I've been traveling a lot. I'm out here um, visiting friends and doing things and we travel a lot. We're fortunate to do that, but I couldn't do that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I would say don't look at social media and compare yourself to anybody else. Like just get your own goals, set your own goals and be you just do your thing. Let that inspire you. But the truth is, is, you know, at best half the story is on social media. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah you get, you see the best 5% of their lives. Right. <clears throat> and guys, these are, um, this is a live show, so please, you know, post your questions. Uh, Mike's happy to answer them. Uh, so something you and I talked about before the show started, uh, or and this is something I ask every guest, is what is your why? So yeah. you want to talk about your thoughts on that? Yeah. I. It's something I struggle with because mm -hmm. it's like, why am I doing this? And I think, it, I think a lot of entrepreneurs and real estate investors get to a point to where you're like, this isn't about survival anymore. Like, I don't. I don't need to do this. I didn't need to fly out here today to do this. But mm -hmm. I, I it, for me, it's it's like trying to find my purpose. And I think my purpose is by trying to impact other people. Yeah. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, I I struggle with that balance because I'm away from my family now, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to like balance that of like, sometimes we say I'm doing things for my family. And then, you know, you've heard people say, well, your family would probably rather have you at home right now versus out saying you're doing stuff for your family. So it's real easy to get caught up in this thing mm -hmm. of I'm doing this for my family. And, um, you know, I think some of what I do is self-serving. It makes me feel good to help other people. I know that'll come back to me somehow. And I won't, I won't be use the cheesy cliche and say that I'm doing it for my family. Ultimately my family comes first before everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm just fortunate to have a wife that supports me in trying to do these things. And you know, sometimes it's a burden on her and we have those conversations about, Hey, we need to pull back on this cause I need more help. Yeah. But I think, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit up front. Sometimes I don't really know what my why is and yeah. I've struggled with that. And we had uh, Sean Whalen come talk to the investor fuel group, uh, in Salt Lake city back in February. And he made some comments about how some people beat themselves up so bad about not knowing what their why is. And mm -hmm. it really resonated with me. Cause I'm like, sometimes I feel it's like this and like, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? I think sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know why, but it just feels right. And yeah. I'll find my why eventually. So this is something that I think is a great point. Cause I struggle with this a lot too. Right. Cause like yeah. when we first start everyone, what's your why money? Yeah. But money doesn't get you out of bed. Well, if money's still getting, out of, still getting out of bed, it's probably because you're still in survival mode. Yeah. Right. And then we get to this next phase, like, you know, impact. And that's kind of where I, I read, um, you know, there's Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Mm -hmm. And then he has a, another book, which is Finding Your Why, because I struggled with it. Right. And I was reading it. And I think mine is very much like yours, which is impact. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of guys that say, you know, my, my family's your why. But like you said, your family probably rather have you at home. And yeah. I actually have those same exact conversations with my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I was reading an email as I sat down here and my wife's like, Hey, I look at your calendar and like, we need to talk. Like <laughs> got a bunch of travel. I'm, I'm gone next week for something else. Mm -hmm. And she's like, why is this all happening in one month? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got, I got Houston this week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got Biloxi end of the month. And then I actually have a mastermind that I'm in. That's next week that my wife's like, look, you can't leave three weekends yeah. out of the year. Right. So yeah, I have that same exact struggle. So um, I think month. that's in one month. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a very good point that, you know, a lot of people that say, I'm doing this for my family, sit back, reflect, are you really doing this for your family? Right. Because your family might actually want you at home. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, it's a struggle. I mean, as entrepreneurs, like a lot of us are, um, no matter how much success you've had, we, we've been through the feast and famine mode, mm -hmm. right? So we're kind of like, if you've ever met anybody that's, that's really old, that's like been through the depression, they're just like, they're usually, you can tell they've been through the depression, right? Very, like, very frugal. Yeah, even if, even if they don't have any problems anymore, they're just frugal. They're like, they don't think, mm -hmm. they're not flashy. And so we've been through that. They're not gonna have an abundance mindset, they can't. Yeah, right. And so we've been through those things. And so sometimes it's still, even though there is no famine and there's no famine in sight, you still have in the back of your mind, well, there could be, you know, what if somebody takes this all away from me or whatever, you know, you never mm -hmm. know. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a... It's like a pit bull, like, eh, they could be calm. A lot of people say pit, pit bulls are really calm, but in the back of their mind, they've got, they've got some fight in them if they need it. Oh yeah, so <laughs> um, something that my wife and I uh, had had multiple heated discussions about was leverage and how much do you leverage, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And for me, I was like, just, you know, let's put it all out there. Let's invest every dollar. And she's like, no, I need this amount of safety and security. Right. And about a month ago or a month and a half ago, she started having conversations about like, hey, let's take more chances right now. And I'm like, no, we need to have, because we've been through the famine. Right. We went through 2007, 2009, 2011, where we're facing foreclosure and massive credit card debt. So. As, it, even though we're not going through any uh, famine right now, and it's not one yeah. in, in the near future, it's still in the back of my mind as well. Yeah, I think one thing that really helps, back to this like taking risks and trying things, is mm -hmm. when you get to a point to where you're like, so for example, we, we paid our house off, our personal house, which mm -hmm. doesn't make sense that we could borrow cheap money and go leverage, I'm a finance guy, like I get that, but there's just some security and like, I don't have a house payment, um, we live pretty, I mean, we have nice stuff, but we live below our means and we have some money tucked away. So it's like, if the shit ever hit the fan, like we're okay. Mm -hmm. And I know enough now to know just everything I've been through because of my network and stuff like that. Like if somebody took it all away from me, like give me a year and I'll be back. Right. You know, and yeah. I don't know what that looks like. And I hope I never have to figure that out. But I know, I think as an entrepreneur, once you get to a point to where, you know, no matter what happens, I'm resilient and I can come back from anything. There's a lot of, it, it really kind of eases your, your, it does eases your pain, I guess. In fact, I had that conversation with Jesse Burrell, who's in your group. Yeah. Um, that, you I know, I lunch what? with him yesterday. What's that? I had lunch with him yesterday. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he was saying like, you know what, even if crap is a fan, we're going to be all right because of our net worth. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, Omero Corona wants to know how much is the investor fuel mastermind? Yeah. So and if you don't want to answer, you don't have to, cause I don't have. Yeah, the best thing to do is we have two groups. Uh, it's not cheap. I'll just say it's not cheap, but it is the best investment you know you could you could make. I mean, there are commonly people in our group that um, uh, say that they've tripled their business this year mm -hmm. because of Investor Fuel. Yeah, and it's not. It's just because of one. It's getting around people that are it's like saying something that you thought was true, and you're like, oh my god, why am I doing it that way? I'm going to do it this way, mm -hmm. or just little. You know, when you operate at a high level and you learn a little tip and trick, like sometimes that little nugget like moves the needle in a significant way in your business. So we really have two groups. We have a group for people that are doing 10 to 50 deals a year mm -hmm. and then that we call that the gold group. And then we have the platinum group, which is 50 deals and above. Yeah. And so uh, our next event, actually our last event for the year actually is in about three weeks from now. So if anybody's interested, they should just go to investorfuel.com and we have a little process where you can apply and get on the phone with us and we'll uh, talk more about it. Gotcha. Uh, and then Bobby wants to know in regards to virtual wholesaling, are realtors the best resource for finding cash buyers? So if you're going outside your market and you're trying to expand, finding cash buyers, are realtors the best resource? 
So I don't, I'm not a virtual investor myself. So uh, I've done some deals virtually, but that's not really my core focus. But I know a lot of people that invest virtually, right? Or a lot of people that are in our group. So I think um, that's a possibility. I mean, you could always ask realtors mm -hmm. uh, if they have any cash buyers. Every realtor will generally say, oh, I work with investors. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, you know how that goes. Like sometimes yeah. it's like, well, one time five years ago, they sold a house to a guy that was keeping it as a <laughs> rental. But um, no, I think uh, depending on the market you're at, if you can pull data and find cash buyers, like if you can pull, uh, if you can access the MLS and you can find wh where were the cash transactions, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a great way. Or if you pull like who owns houses in that area, specifically for landlords, like who owns more than one house in that area, you can start to find other investors that you could sell to. So those are a couple little tips. Gotcha. And then Savada wants to know, how did you find your first multifamily deal? So I, um, I've been doing them through partnering with uh, Corey Peterson, the big kahuna. Mm -hmm. So I was with him and his wife last night. Corey's like my brother. And uh, his wife was heavy handed with the wine last night. But uh, um, but yeah, through Corey, he's an expert. I mean, just like I have become an expert in single family, I'm like, I want to get into multifamily, but I don't want to go learn everything myself. So let me partner with somebody that I trust that I think is one of the best in the business. And that's where I went. And mm -hmm. do, does that ultimately cost me money when I invest? Like he's benefiting from that and other people are benefiting from that and it's not me. Yeah, but that's just kind of how this works. So it's, just, it's the same with my coaching. Like if people pay to, to get coached, they're learning. Eventually they'll be self-sufficient, but I don't want to go learn multifamily on my own. I don't want to build up all the relationships that are needed to make that work. Right. And so I've done it with uh, with a friend. It was something that uh, we were talking uh, on Sunday with uh, Chris Rude. Uh, he was saying, we were talking about, you know, this is the cheat code. Right. This right. is back in the day when you were opening in, in, in the Power <laughs> magazine. Yeah. Right? And you went you went straight to that. Like for me, when I as a kid, when I got that magazine, I went straight to the cheat code section and looked for any games that I was playing. Right. Right. And that's what masterminding and coaching does for yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's a why, 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 why spend all that extra time and lost opportunity? when you can shortcut that learning process. Right, let me go ask somebody that's 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 done that before so that's, I don't have to learn. That has solved this exact problem, not even like a similar problem, this exact problem. Yep. Uh, okay, so uh, Isaac Avalas wants to know where do you hold your REI meetups? I don't have meetups. Yeah, we have a mastermind. Okay, that's what so about, what is your, where, where, do you, where do you do that? Investor Fuel, so we, um, we have uh, we have four main meetings a year. These are the, like the big ones. We have some other get-togethers as well, and we'll be doing more and more like adventure and travel type mm -hmm. things in the year ahead. I'll I'll, have to, I'll tell you about that a little bit later. But the four main meetings we host two in Dallas Fort Worth where I'm based, and then we rotate the other two to other. We just started doing that this year. So in um, February we went to Salt Lake City, and then we went on a ski trip afterwards. We had about 40 people from our, there were about 100 and maybe 60 people there. Mm -hmm. 40 came skiing and then a small group of us went uh, snowmobiling and dog sledding in Yellowstone mm. afterwards. So, and then uh, then we were in San Diego and then uh, that was just last, uh, that was August. Gotcha. And then uh, February we're going to Nashville. So we kind of try to do one a little bit east, one a little bit west, and then two in DFW where we're based at. Mm, interesting, yeah. So right, with, with, what, with what we're doing, all four are in Phoenix. So I'm thinking maybe we should not do the July one in Phoenix because it's a little, <laughs> it's it a little warm here. <laughs> it's a little warm here. Uh, so what is your biggest struggle right now? My biggest struggle is probably something that we talked about uh, there uh, is like trying to do it all. I struggle with that still. And I, I've gotten better at saying no to stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, my team, if my team were here, they would, they would kind of tell you, I'm like, hey, hey, I've got this new idea. 
<laughs> you have a second? I want to tell you about something. And they're just like, here we go. Get the popcorn yeah. out, you know. Um, so I, um, I struggle with staying focused on – I don't think that it's causing any problems with what I'm doing now because mm-hmm. I've gotten way better. But I still am always looking for taking whatever I'm doing to the next level. Have you looked at Strategic Coach? Yeah, so I thought, you know, you ran in, so Todd Swaggerty's a good buddy of mine. Yeah. And um, and I've thought about it. And, and the truth is, is I want to do it, but here, back to the travel thing, I'm like, my wife will kill me if I yeah. say I'm going to go to four four meetings next year. So I might, but yeah. we'll see how, we'll see how uh, the next month goes. Yeah, because that's uh, one of the, the impact filter. Yeah. Uh, maybe have Todd teach you the impact filter. Yeah. Hopefully he's mastered it. So Todd's family and my family, we're going to uh, Cabo together in uh, next month. So yeah. We'll spend some time talking about that. Yeah, because that's that's exactly the one thing, the tool to keep the visionary from causing problems. Yeah. All right. I'm a, I'm a problem. <laughs> I cause problems. Me too. It's that's almost like the cat with the ball. Like you're kind of bored and you're like, oh, I'm going to start batting this ball around and just like play with yourself, you know, or like yeah. figure out some entertainment. That's what I do in my business. I'm like, let me break <laughs> something so it has to be fixed. Or. I mean, that's how most visionaries are. You got to <laughs> cause problems, but that those problems lead to bigger, better solutions. Hopefully, right? <laughs> uh, so then, on the flip side of that, what is your superpower? I would have to say, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about it, but relationships. Like I'm, yeah. I, I don't hesitate to try to help people, and it starts to come to another level. Like we've, I have, you know, really good friends. A lot of people that have been on your show, people that you know, that I, we talk regularly. Like, mm-hmm. how can I help you? What are you doing right now? What are you struggling with? Just mm-hmm. asking those questions. Yep. It shows people that I care, and I do. I do genuinely care. I uh, not generally, genuinely mm-hmm. care, uh, and I want. I, I wish them well, and uh, so I think it's. You know, we've talked about it. We've kind of beat it dead on the show, but I think it's kind of networking and relationship building. I'd have to say. Gotcha. And your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? Favorite. I don't have a favorite failure. I never. That's like an oxymoron, right? But, yeah. Um, I would say, uh, you know, something else that we talked about here, we, we invested about seven figures into building the original flip nerd. Mm-hmm. And while I don't, while I'm not happy with that, um, it was just like the willingness to not let failure be an option mm-hmm. and just to continue to pivot until we figured out how to add value to people and how to get customers to pay us for adding that value. Yeah. So I'd have to say, uh, that's, that has definitely been my largest failure. I mean, we have lots of properties that have failed, you know, or oh, yeah. lost money on, which we don't have enough time on the show <laughs> to talk about those stories. But uh, my my biggest my biggest business failure was the original build out of FlipNerd. Yeah. Um, Matt Smith wants to know what key things should one be looking for when joining a mastermind. So I think you you really um, you, you really have to s- see like culturally. Does this fit what I want to do? So there are some masterminds out there that are more ego driven and there's a lot of talk there. It's like social media on steroids. Like Mm -hmm. here's all the awesome stuff in my life. Um, But I think one of the things that we've managed to do is um, allow people to, and even ask people to get vulnerable, like share what's not working. Because the truth is, is if you just get, if we just celebrate the good times, like our value is helping through the bad times. So mm-hmm. at our last event, for example, there's a guy that he almost didn't come because he didn't want to admit that he's got a lot of debt right now with hard money and a bunch mm-hmm. of houses that aren't moving and, um, and like millions of dollars in debt. And he was like just drowning. And I was like, get up in front of the room and share that. 
And usually we have these hot seat presentations and they're 20 minutes long. Well, we talk for an hour, like trying to help him through this. Pe people are just pouring love at him. Like, let me, let me connect you with this. Let me help you. What can I do? And uh, so I think you have to find that culture mm -hmm. of people that will push you to another level and not just stroke your ego, basically. Yeah. It's a great, great point. And then uh, Jesse Burrell wants to know, who's your favorite sponsor for Investor Fuel? Uh, it's uh, Jesse and Evo, of course. <laughs> uh, all right. So, and we love Jesse too. Yeah. We, uh, so, best way to find a mentor or coach? Um, so again, I think it kind of depends on your your specialty. Like, what is it you're trying to accomplish? If you wanted to, do, if you want to do creative finance things, like that's not me. I don't do that. For mm -hmm. example, if it's fundamental, like getting started in real estate investing, that's what we do. Um, it just depends, obviously, if you want multifamily, go to that person. So find that's the right person. And I think, again, it comes down to culture. Like if, if you're, if you see somebody on social media and they seem like this is our rated show or, uh, no, we're good. Okay. If they're like a douchebag, like don't, don't work with that. Like it's, they're probably only showing you a portion of their true colors on, on social media mm -hmm. or when you talk to them. So I think it's being around people that, that truly care and understand like, one, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of real estate coaching programs uh, fail from is that they never try to understand, well, what is it that the student wants? Mm -hmm. They're just like, here's how to get flying private jets and like change your life. Like they're selling the sizzle and not mm -hmm. the steak. Right. So yeah. it's like, you know, we take time to say um, in our flipping program, it's like, what, what is your goal? If your goal is to buy, to just do a house, like I love when somebody comes into our program and they're like, I make 60 thousand dollars a year and I'd really love to just replace that income because mm -hmm. I know they can do so much more if that's what they want but when somebody's like yeah, I want to make a million dollars in my first year it's like I'm not gonna tell you you can do that and I'm you probably yeah. you won't like you're, right. you're gonna fail and if you set that expectation up front and so I think a lot of mentors and coaching and coaching programs out there sell the sizzle a lot more than the steak and so just make sure that if you're buying the sizzle that you know you're gonna get the sizzle <laughs> uh, is there a book you've gifted more than any other you know, the, the one thing that we've gifted more than anything is a little bit of a shameless plug. My wife created a bucket list journal. Mm -hmm. So she sells journals on Amazon and we have, I, sh I, sh I should have brought one for you, but we have a bucket list. So we're big on travel. We do a lot of uh, travel and, um, and she's always written out like, these are all the things I want to do, all the things I want to experience, all the places I want to go. So then she ended up just creating an actual journal for it. Mm -hmm. So it's called the ignited life bucket list journal. And, uh, when she created it, we have hundreds of them shipped to our office. So we give them away pretty yeah. regularly. Coincidentally, that's a little shameless plug there, but. Well, I'm gonna ask you for that because <laughs> yeah. uh, my wife and I have some things that we need to do. Yeah. And we've, we've verbalized them, but they have not been written down. Yeah, you gotta write it down. Yeah. You gotta visualize it and you gotta do it. Yeah, so I'm gonna look forward to that gift. Yep. All right, so uh, I want you to think about one last thought you wanna leave the listeners with while I make a couple quick announcements. Uh, so guys, you guys, uh, some of you guys saw I posted this morning, all our recorded uh, coaching calls. You guys wanted access to that. If you guys want access to our coaching calls, please go to disruptors.com with an O. Found out recently that someone is using disruptors with an E to steal my uh, my listeners. Uh, so disruptorso.com um, and uh, fill out the application there. We can figure, we can discuss about our coaching calls. And then I'm going to be speaking in host in Houston, wholescaling live in just a few days wholescalinglive.com, put in RED for 25% off if you guys uh, have not signed up yet. I look forward to seeing a lot of you guys there. And then later this month, I'll be in Biloxi, Mississippi, October 25th through 27th for Real Estate Roundup Live. 
you want to check that out, go to bit.ly slash RER live. And then I'll be finishing the year with Chris Rude in New Orleans on December 6th through 8th for Skillathon 2019. That's bit.ly slash 2019 skill. Um, and with that, last thoughts. Last thoughts. I would say, depending on where you are in your business, if you're just trying to get started or you're trying to take your business to the next level, like, don't let failure be an option. It's real easy for us to get complacent and like people to feel like, well, I tried, I tried and didn't work. It doesn't work for me right now. The market's bad, whatever. There's people that came into, you know, there were people in Dallas, just like Phoenix, that for years have been saying, the old school guys that like, they can't, this doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And then you get somebody like Jamie Woolley, RJ Bates to come in and just rock, mm-hmm. you know, like it didn't work for you because somebody moved your cheese and you couldn't follow it. So, oh, yeah. so the market's shifting right now. So don't let people saying it's a bad time to get in, um, persuade you to not get in, be smart about it, what you're doing. There's always opportunities. I mean, a lot of our business, uh, comes from, um, you know, bad things that are happening in somebody's life. It could be mm-hmm. death, divorce, inheritance, problem rentals, things like that. Those things do not follow market cycles. There's always opportunity that exists yeah. if you're looking to add value to people and be genuine. And so if your goal is to be self-sufficient, to stop working for somebody else, to have a, build a better life for your family, no matter where you're at right now, real estate is a great vehicle to do it. You just have to stay focused. Perfect, perfect. What is, uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Probably the best way is um, uh, I'm a little bit of an addict with uh, Facebook and um, just I just created a new Instagram account yesterday actually so it's it's a <laughs> at the Mike Hambright. and so you just uh, created that yesterday yeah I have one I hired a guy and he's like hey it's like a I don't know why he said it but he's like we want to start with a new account yeah. so anyway uh, so yeah, I think so I Facebook. picked the right one <laughs> yeah hopefully <laughs> uh, at so it's either um, on Instagram the Mike Hambright, um, or on uh, Facebook. And that's not the Mike Hambright with the swastika tattoo on his chest. There's one of those too. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, buddy. Thank you guys for watching.